You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. So, uh, yeah, tonight's Bible reading is Mark 12, 35 to 44. You can find it on the Bibles in front of you, or you can just listen to me. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything, all she had to live on. Thanks, Lenny. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Well, it's great to launch the year, and it feels a little bit weird sort of launching the year a month into the year, but we recognise that, you know, in January, heaps of people are away holidaying, and it's about this time of year with school going back that everything uh, ramps up. Certainly, as a church, things like life groups are starting back, uh, our kids' programs kick off again, and so it's, it's good to sort of launch the year together and to think about what is it that God's calling us to do this year. Uh, hopefully, even though it's February and you're a month into the year, there's still a fair bit of energy and excitement about the year that's ahead. Uh, you're not too kind of exhausted uh, a year in, although it has been uh, a pretty... Um, eventful and traumatic start to the year in many ways uh, in different parts of Australia and in our own community. There's been a lot going on already. But I wonder what this year holds for you. Uh, Maybe a year of study, uh, a year of work. Uh, Maybe there's some transitions that you're going through this year, some new things that you're going to be taking on and you're excited about. Uh, For all of us, there's a year full of relationships ahead of us, a chance to strengthen our existing relationships, to deepen the relationships where we find ourselves in our families, our friendship networks, wherever we are. Uh, And it's a year to think about how we're going to serve God this year, how we're going to use what God has given us 
and serve him. So how do we fix our eyes on the right things? With a year ahead of us, with all of these opportunities, how do we make sure that we're focused on the right things together? Well, I reckon the best way to do it is to focus on what our church mission is. Uh, And as Kirk said, our mission is know Jesus, make Jesus known. Uh, As a church, Jesus is absolutely central to what we're on about. We only exist because of Jesus. Uh, As we come into relationship with Jesus, he gathers us together as people who are followers of him together. So that's the only reason that this church exists, because of Jesus. And we exist for Jesus. We want to know Jesus more deeply. We want to understand who he is and how we should live as his followers. We want to know him. But we also want other people to know him as well. We want to make him known so that people can know the sort of good news and the life that we experience through our relationship with Jesus for themselves. So this passage that Lenny's just read to us from Mark 12, I reckon, is a great reminder for us as we, as we launch. It's a reminder of who Jesus is, and then knowing who Jesus is, what it means in terms of what we should do in response to that. Um, grab your Bibles, it's page 825, uh, if you are looking for Mark chapter 12, or, or look at it on your phone, uh, and we'll have a look at this passage together. Just as you're doing that, just to set the context of where this passage comes. Some of you might remember last year we did a bit of a a teaching series called Jesus Verses, where we saw that as Jesus was there in the temple um, in Jerusalem, all of these different religious groups came one after the other and they asked him questions. Uh, They were trying to trap him, they were trying to trick him, and every question that they threw at him, he skillfully answered. They were asking questions like, what authority do you have? How can you believe that people can rise from the dead? Uh, What's the most important law with all of the laws that are in the Scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures? Uh, And Jesus was able to to skillfully answer them, and he answers all of these questions one after the other, and then we come to this passage where they're out of questions, they realise that they can't trap Jesus, and he throws a question back to the crowds who are around him. It's a tricky question that he asks them, Uh, It's kind of a a theological question, it grapples with what the Bible has to say, but it's a crucial question for understanding who Jesus is, why he's important, and therefore how we need to respond to him. Uh, So Jesus' question is there in verse 35. Jesus says to them, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? So the teachers of the law were kind of the religious experts of the day, they were the people who taught at Bible colleges, the theologians. Uh, They had memorised parts of the Jewish, large chunks of the Jewish scriptures, what we'd call the Old Testament. And they were the people who you'd go to, if you didn't understand something, they'd explain it, they'd interpret what it meant. So they're the religious experts. And Jesus says, why do the religious experts say that the Messiah, Messiah literally means uh, one who's anointed, because uh, in ancient times they used to pour oil on the head of a person to mark them out, particularly if they were to be the king. Uh, And so the Messiah was this this great promised king who was uh, promised by God who was going to come. Why do the religious experts say that this great king who is going to come is the son of David? 
Uh, David was the greatest of all of the kings of Israel. Even uh, today, the flag of the nation of Israel has the star of David on it. That star is called the Star of David. So great was David, this king, sort of the the high point in the history and leadership of Israel. Um, A son of David meant that that this person would be one of his descendants. Um, Why, Jesus says, do they say this? Now, Jesus isn't actually saying this isn't true. Uh, And in fact, the teachers of the law had very good reason to think that this great king who would come would actually be descended uh, from David. So there's heaps of places throughout the Old Testament where this is affirmed that this is the case. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea and Amos all affirm the fact that the Messiah, when he came, would be a descendant of David. So it seems pretty clear that they're on the right track. So far, so good. And then Jesus decides he'll chuck a spanner in the works by quoting Psalm 110, which is where this little passage that he quotes come from. He introduces it in verse 36 by saying, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, before he quotes it. Now notice here that Jesus is saying that the Old Testament scriptures actually come from God. So David is writing this, David is speaking it, a human person, but he's not doing it just off his own account, out of his own head. As he's doing it, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is guiding his words. So Jesus is saying this is not just a human word, but actually God's word which is being spoken. Uh, That, by the way, is why we as a church have such a, a high view of the Bible, why when we gather for church, we teach from the Bible. We do it in our life groups. It's part of our youth ministry, our children's ministry. Everything we do, we, we come to the Bible because we don't believe that the Bible is just human words which you can kind of pick the bits you like and chuck out the bits you don't, take it or leave it. It's more than that. It's actually inspired by the Holy Spirit that God by his Spirit actually directs the words that have been written and therefore they have authority, and we need to put them into practice. All right, that's Jesus' attitude to the Bible, and that's why it's our attitude to the Bible. We want to follow his lead in this, I guess. And Jesus um, says that David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declares, and then he quotes from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. It's a bit confusing. Anyway, a bit confused. There's, there's, there's a few too many lords here. The Lord said to my Lord, hang on, who's, who's he talking about? And it's a little bit clearer if you were to flick back to the original back in Psalm 110. Uh, it's, it's clearer in the original language that this was written in, but it's also clearer even in our English Bibles because of the way that it's marked out. So if you flick back to Psalm 110, it would be written like this, except for the brackets, that's not there. The Lord, notice that that's all in capitals, said to my Lord. Because these are two different words uh, that are being translated. The first one, all in capitals, is the name Yahweh, which is the personal name for God. God revealed this name to his people. This is who I am. Um, 
And when you read, if you're reading through the Old Testament and you come across that word Lord and it's all in capitals, that's an indicator to you that it's a translation of this name Yahweh. Now, the reason that they don't just write Yahweh rather than Lord, you go, isn't that a bit confusing, is because so much did the Jewish people respect that name that they would never say it out loud. So when they got to that word in their scriptures, if you were doing the Bible reading in church, you wouldn't say Yahweh, you'd replace it with the word for Lord, okay? Because it's too sacred, too precious to speak it out loud. But as Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, they all know what Psalm 110 is about. They're religious experts. Jesus is uh, quoting here, and it's saying that David writes, Yahweh the Lord says to my Lord, whoever that Lord is, David's referring to, to someone that he considers to be his Lord, and God says to this Lord, sit at my right hand, the place of authority, and I'm going to put all of your enemies under your feet. I'm going to give you such power and authority that you will be in command and all of your enemies will be under your feet. So Jesus poses this question, how does this work? Supposedly this king, this Messiah, right, is going to be David's son, which would put David above him, right, because David's the great ancestor, he's the elder. In that culture, that was very important. David's kind of the superior one to his son. And yet David calls this person, my Lord. How can he both be David's son and yet David refers to him, even before he's born, as my Lord? Isn't that a contradiction between these two parts of the Bible? Riddle me that, Batman, Jesus is saying to the crowds. And it's kind of a mic drop moment. Jesus just throws the question out there, drops the mic, and walks off stage. He doesn't explain it. And the crowds love it. They love it. They're sort of, we're told they're delighted by this. The, the reason they're delighted is because the teachers of the law are left there going, and, you know, these guys who are so up themselves, the crowd are just like, yes, Jesus. Um, they don't know how to answer your question. Now, you might be here today and you might say, See, I knew the Bible was full of contradictions. In fact, Jesus himself is kind of saying, how does this bit work with this bit work? Answer that. Uh, you might be here with that sort of approach because maybe you're investigating Christianity. Maybe you're here, you're interested in this guy, Jesus, you're interested in what Christians might teach. But one of the things that you're not quite sure about is the trustworthiness of the Bible. In fact, lots of your friends have told you, look, it's, it's full of contradictions. There's parts of it that say one thing, parts that say another. Um, and that might be a real issue for you as you wrestle with Christian faith. Is this actually reliable, this book that Christians uh, put a lot of emphasis on? Could I even trust it? Uh, and it's kind of taken just as a, a given by lots of people that the Bible's just full of contradictions, so you couldn't trust it anyway. And maybe you've, you've heard that and accepted that 
maybe that's the case. It could be, though, that you're, you're here and you're a Christian and, and you're starting to have doubts yourself about the Bible. Maybe there's, there's parts in the Bible that you go, I'm not quite sure about that. I don't, I don't quite like what that seems to be saying. Or as I'm reading this part and this part, I, I can't quite wrestle with how they go together. It feels to me like there's a real tension there. Uh, I just want to acknowledge that and say that that's understandable if you're in one of those camps. Um, the Bible has a lot of complex parts in it. Parts of it are very simple to understand, but there are other parts where it, there do appear to be tensions and you do have to wrestle with it and think more deeply about it. Uh, Jesus here, although he's posing these two things as how does that go with that bit, isn't actually saying that the Bible's contradicting itself. Notice again that Jesus is saying God, by his Holy Spirit, has actually inspired the writing here. He's affirming both of these truths. He's just saying, how do you guys work that out? How do you know that that comes together? How do you deal with these two streams that seem to be saying different things? Doesn't it contradict that this Messiah is the son of David, and yet David's calling him my Lord when he's writing. So how does it work? Well, like with so many parts of the Bible where you're going, how can these things ever come together? The answer is that they come together in Jesus. The answer for the crowd, the answer for the teachers of the law, is right in front of their eyes, literally, as Jesus stands there teaching, he is the one who shows how these two things, which seem impossible, can actually be possible, fulfilled through his person. So if you've been reading through Mark's Gospel, here's a few things that you would know already. If you've been going through this book, this account of Jesus' life, here's a few things that you know. Firstly, you know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is this king. Mark 8, 29, but what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. He's been identified that he is actually that person. And then a few chapters later in Mark chapter 10, as Jesus is entering the city of Jericho, a blind man named Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus has mercy on him. He heals the man, so that he's able to see. So Jesus has been identified as Messiah, as son of David, before you even get to this passage when he's posing this question. It's not public knowledge, but for us who's reading it, we know that this is who this guy is. And then you move forward a couple more chapters when Jesus is on trial. The religious experts, the religious authorities have called him in. He's on trial, and they ask him this question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man, that's how he refers to himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Hang on, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sitting at the right hand of God? That sounds a lot like Psalm 110. See, when he gets to that point, Jesus is finally ready to go public. He's ready to say, I am the Messiah. I am the son of David. 
I am the one who has come to rule, and I will sit at the right hand of God with all authority and with all the enemies under my feet. It's me, Jesus says. It's me. And they kill him for it. They think that he's speaking lies about himself, that he's actually blaspheming, putting himself in too high a position, putting himself in the place of God. So they nail him to a cross. But in fact, that's all part of the plan because through his death on the cross, he wins a victory. He rises again from the dead three days later and through his resurrection, he's put in that place at the right hand of God, the position of all authority over everything. And that's exactly what Christians have preached from day one. On the day of Pentecost, the day when God poured out his Holy Spirit on his followers and they walked out the door and started telling people about Jesus, this is exactly what they said. Here's Peter's speech, his sermon in Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried And his tomb is here to this day, you can see it. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he'd place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he's poured it out, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, Psalm 110 again, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Right from the start, the message of the church has been Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the great king who was promised, descended from David. Jesus is risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is the Lord of all. He's the one who's in charge of the world, the entire universe. He's the one who he calls on all people to recognize that he's the Lord and to order our lives under his lordship and to encourage other people to know his good rule in their lives and to receive the life that comes through putting yourself under his rule. That's why our mission at St John's is know Jesus, make Jesus known. We're unashamed that our mission is completely unoriginal. It's just the mission of the church. Jesus, know him. Get to know him if you don't know him. Know him more deeply if you do. And share him with other people that they can know him as well. So what's that going to look like in practice? As we think about the year that lies ahead, if that's the reality, that Jesus actually is the one who's in charge of all things... And being his follower means actually doing things his way and recognising that he's in charge. 
Well, it's going to mean there are certain things that we don't do and certain things that we should do. And really briefly, the two stories that Jesus goes on to tell demonstrate what not to do and what to do. Firstly, here's what not to do. Don't be like a teacher of the law. If Jesus was writing a meme, this is what it would go like. Bob is a teacher of the law. Bob likes wearing flowing white robes. Bob likes it when people bow to him when he's out shopping. Bob loves having the best seat at church and when he's at parties. Don't be like Bob. Right? Following Jesus means acting humbly and not big-noting yourself. Right? We, we need to be humble as Christians because we recognise that Jesus is Lord, he's the one who's in charge, and we're not. Jesus is the one who's special, not us. We're not interested in people thinking we're great people. We're not interested, actually, in people thinking what a great church this is. We want people to say, how great is Jesus? He's awesome, even though those guys are a bit done. That's what humility is about. It's pointing people to Jesus rather than it being about us. The other problem with the teachers of the law, Jesus says, is that they just, they're just showy in their religion and they don't put it into practice. So they pray these great prayers. They look really religious. They look really impressive when they pray their prayers. And at the same time, they devour widows' houses, which means they take advantage of the most vulnerable people. They don't do the right thing by them. They abuse their power and take advantage of others. Don't be like that. Right? That's just hypocrisy. That's just words which aren't backed up in action. Being a follower of Jesus means being authentic. It means actually putting things into practice, including acting justly, doing the right thing by other people. It's about humility. It's about authenticity. It's about justice. When you recognise that Jesus is in charge, these are the things that should flow and should follow. I've been reflecting this week... These are, these are three characteristics that you could say about Ron Cridland, couldn't you? No nonsense. Authentic, what you see is what you get. Humble, and yet wanting to actually put his actions into practice. Uh, a great model and encouragement for us as we think about what it means to be a Jesus follower. So if that's what we shouldn't be like, don't be like the teachers of the law. The next example from Jesus says, here's what you should be like. Be like this widow at the temple. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, he's watching what's going on, and people are dropping their sort of cash offerings, like, you know, in church you might hand a plate round or put a column out there and people put their money in. And there are all these rich people, they're putting in stacks of cash, and a widow comes up and she puts in two bronze coins, the least valuable coins of the time, she pops two of those in there. And Jesus draws attention to it and he says... She's given more than these other people have given. Sure, the cash value is not as much, but that's not what Jesus looks at. That's not what he cares about. Jesus looks at the heart, where it's coming from, and also he looks at it relative to what people have and how they use it. These other people have got stacks of money, so what they put in is kind of relatively speaking not as much, whereas she's got two 
copper coins. She doesn't even say, I'll give one and keep one. She says, God, I'm going to trust you so much with what I've got that I'm going to give you both of those. The encouragement here from Jesus is following him, we need to trust him enough to be generous with what we've got. Uh, You might be here, you know, maybe you don't have that much or you don't feel like you've got that much. doesn't matter. Recognising Jesus being in charge is about just being generous with the little that we have and whatever we have. It covers money, uh, quite obviously in this story. You know, what we give to support uh, the work of sharing Jesus with other people locally uh, and also what we do uh, further afield. But it's not limited to that. It's also about how do you use your time and your energy? Right? How are you going to serve God through this year that lies ahead of you? Uh, will you volunteer? Will you use some of that time that you have? And it might not be much to use it for Jesus. It covers how we think about what our focus and our priorities are about. Are we going to recognise Jesus' lordship and give him the focus and the priority, give him our best attention, or will we just leave him the kind of leftover time, the tired time, after we've done the really important things that we want to do in our lives? It covers being generous in our relationships, wanting to use the relationships that we're in to love people the way that Jesus would want us to, to actually be genuine in terms of putting into practice in our relationships how Jesus would want us to live. And being generous in terms of sharing what we know of Jesus with other people through the words that we speak, but also the actions that we undertake. Jesus is interested in actually all of this, and he wants us to recognise that he's the one at the right hand of God, He's the Lord, he's the one who's in charge, and to actually trust that that's true and therefore use what we've got in generous ways in his service this year. You see, if what Jesus says about himself is true, if he actually is this great king who was promised centuries beforehand who came into the world, if he is, as we speak currently, at the right hand of God, the one who is in the position of Lord over all of the universe, if that is true, if through his resurrection from the dead, he offers us hope that goes beyond this life, hope that goes on to eternity, that as he was raised from the dead, so we will be raised from the dead. If those things are true, if he is Lord, and if he is your Lord... How does that shape 2020? What does that look like as you walk through the school gates, recognising that Jesus is at the right hand of God? When you go to the workplace or onto your work site, what does that look like? As you relate to your family, as you interact with your friends and in your sporting teams, all of these things. If Jesus is Lord, then we need to act humbly, authentically, justly and generously. It should radically shape the way that we approach this year as individuals and also as a church as we think about what God has given us together and how we're going to use it. I'm going to invite uh, the band to come up and I'm going to pray that God would give us the strength that we need in order to do that.
Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who fulfills all of these great prophecies that have come through over many years, that they come together in your person and you fulfill them, that you are the one who is the king over all and the Lord of the universe. We pray that you would be the Lord of our lives and every part of our lives. We pray that you'd be the Lord of our church and every decision that we make and everything that we do. We pray that you would show us in real and powerful and concrete ways uh, how it is that we can best serve you this year and we pray that you would give us the strength that we need by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 